0: Thank you for downloading this message from Pastor Ryan today. We believe you will be encouraged and challenged by this message. Grab your Bibles today and turn with me. I'm going to look at a verse of Scripture that's probably not the most familiar. Turn with me to 1 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles. And uh, I want to go back there and look at a a verse of Scripture, just a a couple this morning. I think it's important this morning that... uh, that our fathers realize how important they are, and the legacy that they're living, living living, and leaving is very, very important. First Chronicles chapter 28. First Chronicles 28. David, as, as the Scriptures record, David is at the latter stages of his life. And he had served God and, and fulfilled the mandate of God as a king. But God had given him a dream to build the temple. And in the 28th chapter, the instructions are now transferred from David to his son Solomon because God would not allow David to build the temple because David had become or had been a man of war. So in the 28th chapter of 1 Chronicles, are you there? Amen. Around here we are a, uh, a congregation. We participate together. So give me a little support and I'll work with you and you work with me and we'll get this hammered out right here. Look at verse 9. Verse 9. This is, this is David speaking to his son. He said, As for you, my son Solomon, know that the God of your father, know the God of your father, Know the God of your Father. David saying to Solomon, Know my God. Know the God of your Father and serve Him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. If you seek Him, He will be found by you. But if you forsake Him, He will cast you off forever. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Father, I ask You today, that as I stand before fathers and great men in this room, that Your Spirit will take the next few moments of our time and that You'll do for us what we could not do for ourselves, and that is be encouraged. Encouraged to continue on the path and the course of fatherhood. To the men in this room that, that I'm about to speak to, I pray that they would be challenged like never before. To rise up to a new standard. To a new level. That they'll hear Your words. Not the words of a man, but Your words. And that Your words will penetrate deep into our heart. And I pray that when we walk out of this room today, we'll be better. Because we've made commitments, as David made, and and, and and exercised to his son. That we'll be greater today because of it. I ask your blessings upon this place, and upon your men, your fathers, in Jesus' name. Amen. It's pretty pretty rare for me to focus on an event like this morning being Father's Day because usually I cut so far against the grain that, that I get to moments. That's why I usually ask someone to speak like on Mother's Day because I would absolutely mess Mother's Day up because I'd go totally off course and, and people would walk out and go, we didn't even honor the mothers other than we gave them a few gifts and we really didn't speak to them. So that's why often I ask Marcia to do it because, because she's better at staying on the task than I am. And so, but this morning I really felt like I really needed to share some word as it related to fathers and and to the men of this house because it's dear to my heart. Because we can't be a great nation without great men. We can't be a great influencing church in our community without great men. And we'll never have solid, anointed, foundational families without great men. And, And so for me... Uh, it's important, Father's Day, and it's important for me because fatherhood is a privilege. Guys, don't ever forget that. Fatherhood is a privilege. It's an honor. Now, it may not always feel like that. I told Marcia last night, I was sitting on the couch, and, and I said, you know, if you look at the dictionary, and you look at the word father, the two words, previous and after the word father, are the words Fathead. And fatigued. Y'all figure it out. It is an honor and it is a privilege to be a father. Although sometimes our children look at us like we're fatheads. And we look at our wives like we're fatigued. But it is a blessing. It is a blessing to be a father. It's a difficult job, men because we don't always carry the nurturing side, because that's not the way God created us and instilled us. We, we carry a little more of the authoritarian warrior side. And I want to preface this morning by saying this, we need some godly men that know how to be warriors and teach their children how to be mighty instruments in the hand of a holy God. And let me just say it this way, because I don't know any other way, and my vernacular is going to be a little skewed, but we don't need any limped-wrist children. That's as loving as I can say it. We need some fireballs in our children. We need some children that are empowered and, and capable of exercising Scripture and the truth of Scripture with full authority, and they know how to do it because they had some dads in the house that taught them how. Now, I understand this, that, uh, for me, fatherhood has to be intentional. It can't be assumed. Fatherhood has to be intentional. It cannot be assumed. Just because, as I said earlier, just because you can procreate and you call yourself a father, that's an assumption. We have to live intentionally. So my word for fathers today is do not live assuming lives. Live intentional lives. Your children will follow you as you live intentional. They don't always follow you when they see you living with an assumption that is just because I'm dad, this is the way it is. Walk it out, fellas. Walk it out. Don't be a preacher that can't walk it. Walk it. Teach it, but do it in such a way that you model the behavior for them so that they know exactly how it's done. Here's my thought today as I was looking at these scriptures in David's life. Is he not really challenging Solomon? He said, for you, my son, make sure you know my God. And if you know Him, serve Him. If you serve Him, do it loyally with all your heart and all your mind. Because God knows whether you're faking, son. Can I break it down for you that way? David's bringing Solomon in. He knows his days are short. He knows the dream, the vision has to be transferred. He needs someone to carry it on. Solomon's the chosen one. And he said, look, make sure my God's your God. Make sure you serve Him with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul because God knows the difference if you're playing games with Him. See, we need some fathers that can plainly speak Follow God like I follow God. Follow him with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and do it with all your heart and you can leave a legacy like I'm leaving. See, we need some men that are thinking about the future of leaving a legacy or a plan of succession that their children can pick up the mantle or pick up the sword and carry it out with great integrity and great honor. And I believe we got some men in here that are that committed to seeing their children be greater instruments and, and, and more powerful than they've ever been in their life. See, for most children, their father is the image and the picture of God. They connect the, the role of a father to their heavenly father. Let me sum it up this way. I read this story this week and I thought it was kind of fitting to prove my little illustrative point. A little boy was in his bedroom when a thunderstorm came. And the thunderstorm came with flashes of lightning and deep rumbles of thunder. Woke the little boy up out of sleep and he immediately said, Dad, I'm scared. The dad woke up and he said, Son, it's okay. God's with you. Silence. Thunder and lightning. Lightning. Cracking and rattling the house one more time, and you hear the son's voice. I know that, but I need somebody with skin on to come in here. I laughed just like you. Know, like you hear me? You're like, I need somebody with flesh to come in the room. I can remember growing up and, 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 and those kind of storms come and you run into your parents' room and, and you need your dad's arms to wrap around you. They can tell you all day long "Is God's with you and God's faithful and God won't forsake, but sometimes you've got to have a hug. Sometimes you've got to have the embrace. Sometimes you've got to feel the strength of fatherhood in the midst of the storm, in a world that just has so much separation. Men, we've got to close that gap and be a little more active and engaged with our kids to where they can feel the strength of our God. That's what David's doing. He said, look Solomon, I'm about to give you an interesting task to build my dream. To carry out my legacy. But see, before David, now you can read this chapter, before David ever gives all the plans and the blueprints of how to build the temple, before he even gives him the mandate to do it, follow my God. Be loyal to my God. And do it with all of your heart. Fathers, A lot of times we give our kids the blueprints of how to do things without giving them the most important part of life. How many had your dad or your father tell you, check the oil? How many had your father say, because I said so? Okay, there you go. I had my father give me a lot of instruction. A lot of common sense knowledge. A lot of how to get something done knowledge. But how many understand that we better balance that out? What David says to Solomon is... Before I tell you how to build it, before I give you the blueprint, before I give you the how-tos, let me tell you how to get something right spiritually. See, in America, we've got a whole lot of handing out how-to-dos. In America, we're handing out as fathers, our whole role is handing out the blueprint of how to be a man. And I can appreciate work ethic. And I can appreciate how to be a man and how to defend yourself and how to fight this certain thing. But ladies and gentlemen, we better put the spiritual back into fatherhood or we're going to have a generation of young people that do not know how to love God. I'm glad you taught your child how to change a, a flat tire and put the spare on. But you better tell them how to get a prayer through in the midst of a miserable night that they know their God will work in their behalf. See, if our children don't know how to fear and obey God, what would be the point? We teach them how to fear government. We teach them how to fear certain things in a natural world, but we don't teach them how to fear God. And the first thing David does to Solomon before he ever gives him the keys of the kingdom. See, you've got to see it that way. Before he ever gives him the keys of the kingdom, the blueprint of the temple, he said, fear God. You know the Bible says blessed is he or the man who fears God and walks in his counsel because his children, his descendants are blessed. Men, you're leaving a legacy by fearing and obeying God that your children will receive a residual outpouring blessing from God because God's obligated to keep His Word. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord and delights in His commandments. His descendants will be mighty upon the earth. That's Psalm 112. So what am I saying? When David says to Solomon, listen, before you do anything in life, get this right, fear God. Man, that's got to be our message. Teaching our children how to fear and obey God. That's interesting, isn't it? How do you fear and obey God? How can I demonstrate fear and obedience to God? They have to see I have a relationship with God. They can't hear me tell them, fear God. Because that makes God out like He's somebody who's about to strike them down if they err. Am I right? Somewhere, fathers, we've got a model fearing and obeying God with our own submissive relationship with God. They need to hear us say, yes, Daddy. Yes, Heavenly Father. Left you say, okay, Because fear and obedience always starts in the heart. See, we say fear and obedience starts with action. It doesn't start with action. It starts with heart. Somebody said, well, if you fear and obey God, there'll be, there'll be evidence. Yes, there'll be evidence, but the heart is the trigger. That's why our children, when they watch us model our relationship with God, they're not looking And kids are great at this. They're not so shallow that they think just what we do on Sunday. Because we got a whole generation of fathers today in America that think, well, if, if I just take my kids to church on Sunday, that's good enough. Fear and obedience is triggered by the heart, not by a behavior first. The heart dictates my behavior. So if my heart is fearing and honoring and obeying God, then my behavior will be indicative of that relationship, won't it? That's all David saying to, to Solomon is know your father and serve him. Serve him means obey him. Serve him means fear him enough and serve him. But he said also with all your heart. How many believe? We need some fathers that give God their whole heart. You know how hard that is. Guys, let's talk. Okay? You know how hard it is to give God 100% of your heart when you got to work 50 hours a week and you got to process through the bureaucracy of your career and your culture. And when you come home, You usually come home to a unique home environment. If you have little children, you can come home to a circus where they're back flipping off the couch. Your wife, though she's beautiful, on that given day, not so much. What little bit of hair she has left And you walk into that, the man of power, God's anointed servant to raise his family. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And you want to turn around at the threshold, get back in the truck and work another 50 hours. Because it'd be easier to go work there than it would be to come in that house and show them how to fear and obey God. Okay, was that way too truthful? You're laughing like, well, Ian, I'm just, I just, well, I'm guilty. Give me a shower and a remote and silence. I'll teach them how to fear and obey God when they go to bed. Now, I'd like to tell you, you say, well, that's just when they're young, didn't they grow up? <laughs> I keep telling some of these young fathers, I said, you just wait till they're going out on a date. You'll call me for counseling. You have two, young man. All I can say is lock and load. You better have. Phone's going to ring a lot. What are you blushing for, sweetheart? He's going to teach you and your boyfriend that comes to the house how to fear and obey God. It's just the way it's going to be. Am I right, Jose? you got two daughters. I'm going to teach anybody that shows up in my house, you better fear and obey God. And I'm going to help you. (laughs) See, I was blessed. I had boys. I didn't have daughters, so I didn't have to go into all that. I didn't have to wring my hands. I just said, Here's how you treat a woman. I couldn't tell him. I had to teach him by teaching. Ma- had to show him by modeling how I took care of mama. Uh huh. So if he's good to you, it's Father's Day, sweetheart. And what do we say at my house? We didn't get out of bed that way. Here's the point. Everything has to be modeled. What David is saying to Solomon wouldn't have had any credence had David not first modeled for his son how to obey and fear God. It wasn't enough for David to say, now that I'm dying, fear God. But he had modeled how to fear God as he'd walked through the journey of being the king. His relationship, his heart with God was so transparent, so vulnerable. Solomon was getting an affirmation of what David had already produced in his behavior. So first and foremost, men, let me leave you with that. Fear and obey God. And teach your children how to fear and obey God. Number two, you've got to be prophets of hope. Say, where did you get prophets of hope from? Notice what David says to Solomon. He said, seek him. Because you're going to find Him. Yes, fear. Yes, obey. Yes, have your heart right. But He says this. Seek Him. Seek this God. You're going to find Him. You're going to discover Him. I know it may be a journey. What's He saying? He's saying no matter how bad it is, if you'll seek God, there's hope in it. So he's teaching his son by prophesying to him to be a seeker that he is prophesying hope to his future. We need some dads that are prophets of hope over their kids. I don't know how many's got some children right now that you know they're running the wrong direction. Be prophets of hope. You say, I don't like the direction they're going. I don't like their behavior. I don't like their choices. Be a prophet of hope. Keep reminding your kids, seek God. He'll lead you and guide you. Seek God. He'll, you, you'll find Him. When you find Him, you'll find the answer you're looking for. You've got some children right now. There's some parents in this room. You've got some children that are looking for the answers in the wrong direction. Keep telling them, seek first. The kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek God, seek God, seek God. Somewhere I've got to be a prophet of hope that that things are going to turn around. David had been carrying the, the plans of the temple for a while, and now he's saying to Solomon, listen, if you do this, I'm going to tell you, God's going to help you build it. Do you understand how hope filled David was that the temple was going to be built? I mean, this had been a burden he'd been carrying, a dream he'd been carrying, and now he's handing it to Solomon. He said, you're going to get it done. What he said, in fact, is be strong and do it. See, he would coined the phrase before Nike ever thought about it. David said, just do it. That's hope Do it. We need some fathers in this room to tell their children, dream dreams. Do it. Live large. Dream large. Follow God. You can do it. How are they gonna develop faith if we don't give them hope? Did you hear what I just said? How are they gonna develop and, and cultivate faith if we don't give them any hope? See, we've got to be fathers to say we believe in miracles. That there's nothing too hard for God. And that He can turn it around. We've gotta be that. How many of you have had your kids come to you as a father and they bring you some stuff and you're like, oh dear. Like the mess they're in. Right? You got little kids. They grow up, y'all. I used to say, well, you know, he's only three or four. Colton's going to grow up. He's growing up every day. And and now it's so cute we watch him up here, a little four-year-old. And then he'll be 14. And, and there's some transitions between four and 14. Adolescence and puberty hits. Hallelujah. Or as some of you would say, oh no. Parenting a four-year-old versus bringing hope to a 14-year-old, it it changes. You see, in the early years, you kind of the prophet of the pampers. You feed them, you change them. And then as they grow, you gotta grow. Oh. Cause you can't treat them like they're infants or toddlers. Now they've grown. So your prophetic role has to grow as their future enhances. So you go from the prophet of pampers. That is, that's cute. To the prophet of hope. Because at 14, they don't feel loved. At 14, they threaten to run away. Sometimes they do successfully, at least to the neighbor's yard, for an hour. At 14, they don't fit in. They don't feel accepted. At 14, they think they're 18 and they can tell you. Uh, you, Would you like me to spend a little time? I'll take an offering and stay there if you like. It's Father's Day. Behave. Behave. But see, as a parent, as they change, we've still got to shift with their growth, but we have got to continue to be the prophet of hope that they can do anything. See, at six, they they in a cape running through the house like Superman. And you walking around going, you can do it. Just don't get up on the roof. Just jump off the couch or the bed. You can fly from there. Right? You're like uh, you're growing with them. Now you have those daughters, and and and, and they can do backflips and cartwheels and all this other stuff. Didn't look like that when they started. You were a prophet of hope when they could do a somersault, right? Like oh, cute, good. Didn't know how much it was going to cost you, did you? Uh, you were applauding. Oh, sweetheart, that's beautiful. Oh, the prophet of hope now has to, yeah, it's no longer a prophet, debt. But anyway, this is why I don't do special holidays. This is, this is it. I need to, see, I need to pin my ear back and preach. I can't do it because y'all like laughing. Now I'm getting tickled and we ain't getting nowhere. And we should be at lunch by now. Yeah, does that make sense? So we encourage them, and then then they get older and it's a little harder to encourage them. And then they want to do absolutely something that's ridiculous. And the Holy Spirit says, be quiet. Speak to their future. Yeah, but they're making a terrible decision. I'm going to help them. And God goes, let them be. So you have to go quiet. Sometimes a prophet of hope is a prophet of hope that says nothing. Just come back and tell me how that worked out for you. See, sometimes you've got to know. What David is saying to Solomon is, listen, I'm giving you hope for your future. I'm taking the limits off God. You can build this. You can do this. Go do this. But how many know David's about to transition out of it where he had no influence over Solomon and what Solomon did? So he's kind of giving him a broad stroke. Here's your hope. Now between point A and point B, you've got to figure it out. interesting to me let me give you three things and let me let you go is that all right? first one's fear God and obey God second of all fathers be a prophet of hope always be a a developing of their faith and 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 sometimes you have to hold your tongue I mean he's got older kids you just got to hold your tongue I'm a prophet of I'm a prophet of hope in prayer I want to show you something in verse 11 David gave Solomon the plans for the vestibule its houses, its treasuries its upper chambers its inner chambers its place of the mercy seat the plans that were given to David by the spirit he's beginning to give now Solomon the entire plans of the temple I was like man that would be cool He's given him the plans to the house of God. Right? He's given Solomon the plans to build the architecture of the house of God. Fathers, the third thing I want to share with you, you need to instill in your kids the value of the house of God. We live in a culture today where church is somewhat diminished in its value and influence. Am I right? Come on, the truth is church is just not that important anymore. We're very socially conscious... We're just not very kingdom conscious. We spend a lot of time making sure that we're in the right clubs and the right organizations so that it can further our business, but yet we're not set in the house of God. What David is saying to Solomon is, I'm giving you the blueprints. The church matters. Fathers, it's important that church matters to your kids. You'd be surprised how many kids tell their parents to go to church. We're going to church today, right, Daddy? Right, Daddy? Right, Daddy? Daddy, Daddy, we're going to church? I don't know. I'm kind of tired. I stayed up late and watched the ball game. See, men, church still has to matter. What David's saying to Solomon, I'm giving you the plans because this matters. Church gives us the blueprint on how to live life successfully and with a blessing from God. I know church looks foolish, and it's so mechanical, and there's a lot of things in it that's wrong, and I agree. There's a lot of things wrong with church. But there's nothing wrong with the kingdom. Nothing wrong with the author of the church. Nothing wrong with the one we seek. We just get distracted by all the other stuff. Well, I just don't trust the church. It's full of hypocrites. we got room for more. We're not the church of the perfect. In fact, we are imperfect people serving a perfect God. And the reality is we got a whole lot more room for imperfect people. Join us. Be one of us. Fathers, you determine... Whether your family is a church-fearing, church-attending family, you determine it. We used to have a—I know I'm taking a little time. We'll, we'll wait till everybody gets out of the restaurants. We used to have a relationship with a ministry team that would come in and do dramas, skits. We had a great relationship, and they'd come in and do it. And one of the skits that sticks in my mind and sticks in Marsha's mind, is the only ones we seem to remember. But it was a husband and wife team, and he's kind of got his PJs on and his newspaper on and news, reading the newspaper, and she's, you know, just a skit, and she's over like, Honey, it's time to go to church. I don't want to go to church. Come on, honey, it's time to go to church. No, I don't want to go to church. I want to read my newspaper. I want to watch the ball game. I may mow the yard. I may play golf. I may go fishing. No, honey, you need to go to church. And so she's pestering him to go to church. And it goes on for a few minutes in that dialogue, and finally he looks at her and said, Honey, tell me, why do I have to go to church? She said, Well, honey, you're the pastor. It's the only skit I really remember from them. I don't know why I remember it. My wife will testify, I don't believe she's very few times ever had to get me to come to church. And I don't know very many times that I've ever had to ask them, Are you going to church? It was never a question. Why? Wasn't an option. Not because it was pastoral, because I was a pastor and you had, there was no option. This is how we live as a family. This is our creed. This is the conduct. See, we have a lot of convictions, but convictions are worthless without daily conduct. We talk about I've got convictions, but convictions without daily behavior substantiating them are nothing, they're null and void. Fathers, be a man of your word. Lead your family to the house of God and show your children that the house of God matters. It matters. We don't preach that the church matters anymore because we don't want to offend anybody because they're too busy. I still believe the church. If a church doesn't matter, then why did Jesus institute its birth? Why? It was his idea. I would question it myself. If it was me and I wrote it, here's my deal. Get saved, go to heaven. Instant. Boom. Gone. One-way ticket. Anybody disagree with that? That's a pretty good ticket. Y'all like, I agree. That wasn't the plan. The church is the picture of the kingdom. So make sure church matters, fathers. Now, David lays out for Solomon all these plans of the vestibule, the treasuries, the inner chambers, all these all these wonderful things. You know what he's saying? You can do this. And when I was looking at all that he's laying out for him to do. I'm guilty of giving my children do nots. Don'ts. I failed to give them a whole lot of do. Y'all work with me for this for just a moment. I'll let you out of here in just a second. Because what David's saying is here's the blueprint build the vestibule, build the inner chamber, build the place for the Ark of the Covenant. Do this. Here's the plan, here's the do's. See, he's cultivating faith in Solomon to do something. I don't see David saying, now don't do this. Now, why is it so surprisingly quiet in here? Because as fathers, we're real good at saying, now don't. Don't do this, don't do that. We're trying to help them learn how to do by telling them the don'ts. How can I cultivate faith if all I'm giving you is the do-nots? How can I offer you a challenge to dream dreams for God if I'm giving you the do-nots because the do-nots assassinate faith? For that, I'm sorry. For that, I am sorry. Y'all mingle among yourselves. Because I was too far out of balance. Now, fortunately, they didn't rebel. If they did, I didn't know it. We'll talk. I'm still not going to know it. But I was very heavy on do not. Y'all, gonna, uh, All you fathers are going to leave me out here like, you poor sap. That's a good word. That's a good word. Listen, if you don't get anything out of this morning, get that. Because, see, here's the deal. When you look at David speaking to Solomon and telling him about building the temple, he doesn't give him do-nots. He could have said, now, do not do it this way. Or do not start with a vestibule first. Or do not. He didn't. He said, do. I want to cultivate your faith. Not crush it. I want to cultivate your faith, not crush it. How do I do that? Let me give you the do's as opposed to the do not's. See, because I kind of come to this conclusion, and it's kind of made me repentant in my heart, and that's just me. But uh, I've come to this conclusion, a constant diet of do not's kind of makes living Christianity impossible. Kind of defeats faith. Kind of makes it impossible to ever feel like you please God. Are y'all quiet in here? Do not, do not, do not. After a while, it almost feels unachievable to even please God. For that, I honestly repent because I gave him a lot of do nots. And I tried to balance the do nots out with what the consequences of do not is. That's parental justification. Am I right? Because I tried to say it, you know, as she testified. You telling her of your past. What you're saying is, don't do like, I <laughs> don't do it like I did it. But I need to focus. And some of you young parents, you need to hear me. Focus more on what they can do and what they should do versus what they don't do. Don't assume. Make it intentional. All right, stand with me. Stand with me. I, I, I want to pray for our fathers. We hope you enjoyed the message today. Please visit www.FiveStonesChurch.info for more messages and media resources.